The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. On this episode, I managed to overcome my illness to talk about an identified skull. I go over a fugitive caught. I detail a child who was allegedly cyber-kidnapped. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including my holidays. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for January 1st, 2024. All right, everybody, let's try to have a live show. What do you say? What do you say about that? This is the live show for uh, January 1st, 2024. It is the first, the first unfound production of uh, any type for the new year. I hope everybody has had a great uh, two weeks. Of course, since you uh, saw me last when I was doing the live show uh, from my uh, father's place there in Renfrew, Pennsylvania, and what a long, strange trip it has been since then. And uh, of course, I think most of you already know about it, but I'm going to talk about it again anyway. Before I get too uh, far into this, <coughs> you're probably going to be hearing a lot of that tonight. Although, I'm probably uh, 85% back to being uh, who I usually am. But uh, you're going to hear some coughing and some snorting and some things during the live show tonight. Those are unavoidable I suppose I could have uh, skipped this live show and not started the live shows till next week. But really, I was like, I have to admit, I already feel too dang guilty about missing this past Friday. And uh, so to miss two live shows in a row, I mean, of course, last Monday was Christmas, but uh, my conscience would just not allow me to miss tonight. So here I am. And uh, I'm happy to see uh, that we have a nice showing so far uh, tonight. So thanks to all of you. Uh, Of course, nothing changes here in 2024 except the year. As you are watching tonight, please give this video a thumbs up. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching on uh, Facebook, do what you can over there. And uh, please subscribe to this YouTube channel. If you're on uh, Facebook, like the page, share the page, or join the discussion group, whatever you think you got to do. And then if you'd like to go one step further, maybe hit the join button if you're on YouTube. 
to uh, monetarily contribute, support what we're doing, the work we're doing here at Unfound here in 2024 by hitting the join button. (coughs) Of course, there are other ways you can do that as well. Patreon.com forward slash Unfound Podcast. And also paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast. If you find this content compelling, enjoyable, informative, whatever adjective you want to use, please, here in 2024, help us out with what we are doing here. So I have a great uh, show uh, planned for you tonight. I want to talk about how a murdered boy was found. We're going to be talking about a fugitive that was found dead. I'm going to talk to you about a skull found and who that skull ended up being. Also going to talk to you about a missing woman from the Orlando area who was recently found and my insights into that. Also have a... um, the story about this uh, Chinese exchange student and what was going on out there in Utah. As you would imagine, I have some insights into that as well. But first, just want to go through a little bit of personal stuff. Maybe at first I should see who is in here. Who is joining us on this first show for January 1st in 2024? Everything 2023, uh, you'll be changing that, right? Everything. Charles, what's going on? Good to see you, uh, Charlie, back there in Colorado. Sharon from Australia, wow. Lori, uh, yeah, your Cowboys did get lucky, Lori. I watched that game. Hello, Karen. And uh, yes, it will be 2025. Let's not get ahead of ourselves already. Valerie, good to see you. And uh, Lisa, what's going on? Mark. What's going on? Good to see you, Assistant Cherie. Hope you had a great New Year's. Thanks for moderating. The Real is back. Wow. The Real, where you been? Good to see you, uh, The Real. Fantastic. Uh, I'm only on. Okay, Cherie, that's fine. Uh, thank you for letting me know, Cherie. Rockford, what's going on? Uh, thank you, Rockford. I'm, I'm about 85%, I would say. Suzanne, Shelly, Stitching, what's going on? Good to see all of you. Thanks for all for tuning in. Uh, I just got finished watching the first uh, playoff uh, bowl game um, where Alabama lost to Michigan. I, I really, really did not care who was going to win, but I'm not a, a Harbaugh fan, Jim or John Harbaugh. So I did find myself kind of leaning toward Alabama. That was a very, very good game. I guess the team that was supposed to win won, but you would have a hard time uh, for me convincing convincing me if they played ten times that Michigan would win, you know, six or seven of those times. Just, just my observation. But uh, now another game I think is uh, starting here, and uh, that is. I don't know. I guess that has to be the the lesser compelling of the two. I think everybody really was looking forward to Michigan and Alabama. Now this other one with Texas and Washington, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing it's going to get decent TV ratings, but I don't know if that's really the game everybody was looking for. So, uh, but as far as I go, um, wow, about 
a week ago, almost, you know, probably exactly. I knew that something was not right with me. And, um, I knew that on Christmas night, so December 25th, once again, exactly a week ago, right about now, nine something Eastern last week, I was dead tired and I went to bed on Christmas night, uh, like I said, nine, nine thirty. And you, all, all of you know me by now. That's not really my schedule. Not even when I'm home with my dad is that my schedule. I pretty much, pretty much still the same kind of sleeping habits. Going to bed at 12.30, 1 a.m., not getting up to like 9 or 10 or, or 11, dare I say. But man, I was just completely, completely wiped out at about 9 p.m. a week ago. And I knew it was trouble. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I'm 53 years old. I know these things by now. And I got up the next day and I was like, yep. Yep. I knew this was coming. Little did I know how bad it was going to get, though. That was the thing that really caught me off guard and really surprised me. And I ended up writing most of the update episode that Tuesday, even though I knew that I was getting sick. But my thinking was, you know what? I'll get this done. This will probably go away in the next 24 hours, and I'll be able to record all this on Wednesday, even at the latest Thursday, and everything will be fine. That was my thinking. I'll just have to work through this illness and get this all, get all this information, all these updates that I want to do for the update episode, get all this done. And then I can go sit on the couch, lay on the couch, go back to bed, do take whatever, drink whatever, ride it out for the rest of this day. I don't have anything else to do. And in 24 hours, this will all be gone. But nope, it only got worse from there. It only got worse. And in fact, you maybe even said that me trying to work through it on that Tuesday morning into afternoon last week might have even made it worse. Maybe. And I, um, I, the big thing was that between that Tuesday, when I got up on Tuesday, and me flying back to, to Florida on Friday, I only slept about 10 hours, maybe. I could not sleep. And, and as, as I've talked about, if there's anything I do well in my life, it's sleep. I could not get to sleep. And I just kept checking my pulse, and I was like, no wonder. My pulse was like up to like 100 beats a minute. I mean, my body was fighting something really, really hard. And so I was going through these... um these waves of being hot and cold, hot and cold. I'd get under the covers. I'd be sweating my butt off. I'd get out of the covers and then I'd have the chills and I'd... it was horrible. And, you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, I was just lying there either in my bed at my dad's place or I went out and just sat on the couch and just, blanking out. I couldn't fall asleep. I was just staring into nothingness. I was putting Christmas tunes, playing Christmas tunes 
on my uh, phone. I had a couple of World War II documentaries that I was watching or listening to and everything else. Could not get to sleep. Like I said, I did sleep a little bit here and there. But to only sleep, um, you know, like 10 hours, it might not even have been that. Between Tuesday when I woke on Tuesday until I flew back on Friday, no good. But I think it was just because my body just couldn't relax. You're not going to fall asleep when your your heart rate's going 100 beats a minute. So, um, but, you know, and I will be honest, right around Wednesday, I was thinking there is no way I'm going to be able to get on a plane feeling like this. No way. I, I just, I, I was, if I was going to get on a plane, I was going to have to take one, like one of those wheelchairs. I was going to have to be wheelchaired uh, the whole way to the gate and then onto the plane. That's what I was thinking. And I wasn't going to be able to get my flight money back. But fortunately, on Thursday, even though I continued to feel like crap, I was like, you know what? This is certainly a, a definitely an improvement. And if I can improve by this amount, by this time tomorrow morning for Friday, then I think I'll be able to fly back. And that's essentially what happened. And I don't think, you know, the weird thing about this whole thing is that I was, you know, as you know, I first went to Colorado for three days or for two days, whatever. And then I was in Pennsylvania from December 14th until this past Friday, December 29th. Not one person I ran into, I I was at parties with or went eating with or anybody else got sick the entire time I was there. I was the only one being around my dad. My dad was around me the whole time I was sick. Never got sick. His friend Dottie from Next Door Neighbor came over, was around me, has not gotten sick. My buddy Brad saw me. This was before I got sick. I didn't get anything from him. He wasn't sick. I was around my, you know, my family, my brothers, my sister, my nephew and grandnephews, everybody a couple times. None of them got sick. Of all of the people I was around during those two weeks, I was the only person who got sick. And it's usually the opposite. I'm usually the one who never gets sick. So it was some weird thing uh, going on that I can't even begin to explain. Do I think it was COVID? It's possible. And the only reason I say that is because I have noticed now that I'm back in Florida that uh, I have been eating. And it does seem to me that maybe my taste buds are just a little off right now. And I know that's supposed to be one of the signs that you might have, um, you know, the, the you know, people even lose their taste buds or lose their sense of taste during COVID. I will tell you, and I really noticed it because I eat a lot of dark chocolate. I don't eat regular chocolate really anymore. And so I came back and there was dark chocolate in the refrigerator and I had some, was it, must have, I don't think it was Friday, maybe Saturday. And I was like, boy, this tastes weird. Man, this just tastes weird. I could taste it, but it just, and I was thinking maybe, maybe I had COVID. I don't know. I never did get tested. I mean, what, 
once you have it, I mean, what's the point of getting tested and everything? <laughs> you know, it's eventually going to, it's either going to go away or you're going to die. There's no reason either way to get tested. So, um, uh, so that might be what I had just because like I said, uh, taste buds seem to have seemed to be a little off now that I'm back here in Florida, but I wasn't eating a lot, uh, over those days. I was drinking a lot of tea, which also didn't help being that it has caffeine in it, which also probably wasn't helping my sleeping situation. I had some toast, but it was all right across my forehead, like above my nose, like sinus headache, but I had no breathing problems, not really much coughing or anything going on, but it was a a sinus headache right across here, like a a piercing headache, dull headache, and then just the elevated heart rate and um, alternating chills and sweats like every hour, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It was, it was, it was, um, just an overall, just achiness, just bad. And so because of that, that was eventually why on Thursday, um, when I had to make the decision, nope, this episode is not getting done. And like, as you all heard, I've surely heard it by now, um, that, uh, you know, I just could not get it done. And it's the first episode that's ever been missed because I was sick. I guess it was going to happen sooner or later. I, I just did not trust me. When Christmas Day rolled around uh, a week ago, there was no way that I could have ever predicted that by Friday I would be so sick that I wouldn't be able to record an episode. There was no way. Even when I started feeling bad last Monday night and even into Tuesday, I thought, I think I can still get this done. But once like Wednesday started, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I think we're in trouble here. So um, ended up making it to the plane. Really, there were no issues. Uh, Really, by Friday, I had enough strength and everything to be able to walk through the airport. And um, got on the plane. My brother picked me up. And I just uh, kind of just stayed kind of laid low, getting some work done. But you can probably tell I'm feeling pretty good. But I would still say I'm only like about 80, I don't know, 85% or something, probably like, like that. But it was... It was a struggle. Just came out of nowhere. And I think what also didn't help was that somehow before I even left on the trip, I ended up getting a skin infection. And um, it didn't look like anything, but just to touch the skin would be like a sharp pain at that spot. Anywhere around it was fine. Just in this, But I had cut myself there by accident. And just, and it wouldn't go away. It would not go away. Even though the skin looked fine. 
And it wasn't until I came back and I just happened to have, and so I'm, I'm thinking, could this have been part of it as well? That I just happened to have some amoxicillin from last year when I had teeth work done. I still have it. And it's still, it's my prescription. It's still, you know, it's still within limits. It's still fine. And so as soon as I got back here, being that I thought I had a skin infection, even though it didn't look at it, I was like, man, the skin infection must be under the skin. Even though I was putting polysporin and everything on it, wasn't helping. I started taking this amoxicillin, five, 500 milligrams every six hours. It's gone. So somehow I got a small skin infection before I ever left Florida. I mean, that's a first. And then on top of that, I end up getting whatever that was, the flu COVID or whatever at the same time. And I'm wondering, is that the reason? Was my body already compromised in some way? Because once again, this skin thing went on for two weeks before I could treat it with uh, antibiotics that I just happened to have here at home. So what, what a weird, what a weird three weeks it's been. I mean, I don't yeah, you know, I so um just uh craziness. So that's that's been my life uh the last 3 weeks and uh but I'm back. I'm uh, it's great to be back here in Florida. You don't even know how uh great it's been back to be. I mean, my dad and I got along great, but the last 4 days of course were a mess. You know, I got to of course I got to spend a lot of time with him cuz I couldn't do anything. So I'm sitting there on the couch all day. He's in his chair. I'm over on the couch, like blanket up to my, my chin and then taking all the covers off and putting them back on and taking them off and everything. It was a mess, but at least with, um, um, you know, I got to spend time with him just sitting on the couch. He's over there. So we spent like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday all together. Cause like I couldn't do any work. So maybe he saw me more than he ever thought he would have. Because otherwise, I would have been doing unfound work. But we got along great. But it's it's just great, you know, to be back here and the warmer weather and and uh, everything else. It's good to be back. So that's my story. And boy, let's hope none of that ever happens again anytime soon. Let's see what everybody is uh, saying here. Um. Valerie said it's going to be a good year, maybe another case solved. Hopefully, more than one. Valerie, hello, Hazel. What's uh, here at the shops? We'll keep you doing your shopping. Uh, I did go through the mill. You're right, Hazel. Uh, Charlie says there's a few like had been running around Colorado. Well, I don't think I got it. Then you know that would have been a long delay, Charlie. I, I I'm thinking, uh, Charlie, that I either got it. At Bravo's, when we all went out on New Year's, I know you weren't there, but uh, when we all went out on Christmas Eve or maybe a day before that, somewhere in there, that's the best I can do. Um, that's how I feel, feel too. Why get tested? Either you have it or something else. There you go, Cherie. Uh, Valerie says some of my kids were sick on Christmas Day, Got just got over it. Yep. I had the same thing, been sick for over two weeks. I finally felt better yesterday. I've been sick since December 13th. Oh, my gosh. Wow, that does sound serious. Hello, Ashley. What's going on? 
Bad bug. Yeah, I think the end of 23 was trying to take everyone out. Yeah, 2023 was jealous it was gone away. Didn't anyone didn't want anybody to experience 2024? That's funny. Um uh Hayes, I feel so bad about hearing being unwell over the holidays. Yeah, that's uh yeah, Hazel. Yeah, the last the last time, you know, the last time you really want to get sick is during the holidays, but unfortunately it happened. In the last three weeks, we all had COVID and I was in really, really bad motor vehicle accident. Who are you, Facebook user? In a car accident. Oh my goodness. Uh thanks. Uh thank you. I'm gonna keep up the gate work. Uh good work. Immune system probably compromised. So you weren't able to fight off things you come in contact with like usual. It could be. Could be the skin infection, uh, Sheree. Could have been. And like I said, it was just a nick that I did uh, with my um, electric shaver. Boom. It was just a nick that I did with my electric shaver. It was no, it didn't seem like anything big deal to me. But uh, I noticed it when I was in Colorado when I put my hand on that spot. And I was like, "There's this is not right. It, it, you know, and it, it, it was way worse than it ever should have been. What, what can I do? I thought it was naturally going to go away. It didn't. And it wasn't until I got back here and started taking some amoxicillin. So two weeks of infection, you know, maybe that, that, maybe that was it, Shuri. I don't know. Never had that happen before. Uh, and I got, you got COVID too, D. Sorry to hear that. I'm <clears throat> sitting in car with Bayou, little dog. All right, Hazel, you do that. So that's my story. Um, but I anticipate probably from now to the next day, the next day, everything's going to be fine. I fully uh, am preparing uh, to record all of the update episode tomorrow. Really looking forward to that. And getting that done so we can finally put 2023 uh, away and move on to uh, new disappearances here for 2024. But uh, so unlike usually where I leave it a secret to the end, uh, telling you all right now that, of course, this Friday is going to be what last Friday should have been. And that is update number update episode number 16. Um, Not as many updates uh, as usual. You know, I think the last update episode we had in August were really like 29 up- updates. I think that there are maybe 19 from the podcast and then maybe five from the Unfound Now, something like that. So not a ton of updates, but certainly a lot to talk about still. So I can't make a prediction how long this update episode is going to go. I just want you to know that there won't, as far as, Cases, disappearances covered. It's not going to be as many as usual for whatever reason. So, but it still could be very, uh, probably very, very long. Uh, Charlie says probably a staph infection. I, I guess. The thing is, I nick myself with that electric shaver all the time. All the time. I'm a klutz. Don't put any sharp objects in my hands. I know that, and I don't know what was different about this time compared to the, all the other times, but something was different, and man, it really bothered me for those two weeks. I was like, this is not going away. This is not going away, and my doctor's out of the country, 
I'm in a totally different state. I'm in Colorado. Then I'm in Pennsylvania. And I just had to live with it, hoping it wasn't going to get any worse. And then once I finally got back here, I remembered I had some amoxicillin that I stored. <laughs> and that seemed to have done the trick. The, the, the pain has gone away and now everything's fine. So weird. Yeah, Hazel. Yeah. But those are the symptoms. Yep. Yep, you're probably right, uh, Charlie. All right, so let's uh, get to uh, all of the true crime stuff for tonight. Of course, we haven't done a uh, a live show in two weeks, so I have some stories to talk about. Of course, I've already previewed them. There's uh, some articles that I'm going to be reading. Uh, a lot has gone on. But I first want to start here, and that would be, of course, with the last episode – that came out for 2023, and that was the disappearance of Lisa Marie Green. And uh, her sister Leah, of course, was the guest. And I asked a very simple question in the discussion group. And, uh, of course, we talked about her disappearance in the think tank, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And in the discussion group, uh, two-thirds of the people think that Jared – is responsible for the disappearance of Lisa. Makes a lot of sense. Of course, she wrote about him extensively in that letter. I'm hoping all of you got a chance to view it, either on Facebook or on the website, theunfoundpodcast.com, so you could read it for yourselves. And I want to thank Leah for allowing me to make that public. However, in the think tank, uh, the results were much more mixed. Uh, as, as far as what most likely happened to Lisa, certainly could believe that Jared did something to her, but on the other hand, very well could be given what was Lisa was going through in her life and everything at various, we entertained the idea that yes, she really did cause her own disappearance. And for me, I will tell you that. It's one of those things for me where, yeah, probably somebody caused her disappearance, but man, so much of my ex- personal experience with disappearance now over over seven years, man, this just looks like a walk-off to me. Somebody just d- disappearing on her own. And so I went through that in the blog. And once again, if you'd like to uh, read what I had to say about Lisa's disappearance, you can go to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, sign up to partake in the unfound blog. If you're ever wondering what's going on in my head, of course, things that I do not talk about during the episodes, if you're ever wondering, well, what's Ed really thinking? He's asking all these questions and he's just sitting there and listening and he's being very patient with the guest, and the guest is doing all the talking, and he just jumps in once in a while, but really not showing a lot of his cards and playing it very straight-laced and straight-faced and no poker face, nothing, or poker face, or however you put that. Um, a good way to see what's going on between my ears regarding these disappearances, go to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast and sign up. I think you'll find it... Uh, enlightening, and maybe even many times very, very surprising. 
Now, what's interesting about this, and I, I can't go into too much of it, is that for those of you who are really, really schooled on um, on Unfound's disappearances, is that this disappearance is kind of like Layla Faulkner's who went missing from Alabama. This is the disappearance we covered, I don't know, maybe five years ago. I think this was after, I think that was the disappearance that was covered after my mother died. So within the last, maybe not quite five years. And um, it was a similar situation where she was at home with her parents. She had a child, and I can't remember if it's a son or daughter, and then parents turned around and Layla was gone. She seemingly walked off right in the middle of the day, never to be seen again. I think that was in Troy, Alabama. So it's, you know, we should be able to get to that point. You should maybe get to that point if you get to know Unfound's disappearances well enough that you can kind of just start picking these things out and saying, well, I heard this disappearance. Man, that reminds me of this one that Unfound featured uh, back in 2019. If you can get to that point, uh, you're really doing really, really well. And you're well on your way to being really, really versed on disappearances. Now, what's interesting about this, and I cannot say too much, if, if any at all, uh, and in fact, this, this will not even be covered in the uh, update episode on Friday. What are the odds that Lisa Marie Green's disappearance is covered like a week and a half ago? It's very much like Layla Faulkner's disappearance. And first thing this morning, on January 1st, 2024, I get a message about Layla Faulkner's disappearance. What are the odds? Now, I will tell you that I don't think that I've had anybody uh, contact me about Layla's disappearance since probably right after the episode came out. And then out of nowhere, somebody contacts me. Like I said, I cannot get into it. <coughs> you should know that I did um, message uh, Layla's mother, who was the guest back for that episode. I did tell her about this person who contacted me and what the message said and all of that. And that's really all I can say at this time, but this is just, it's just so weird. You just never know. And, and the thing is, it's New Year's Day. Who's getting up? Let me see. Let me see exactly when that, um, let me see exactly when that message came in. Let me, let me check this. This is just, this is just, once again, it's New Year's Day. And, um, Am I going to be able to find this? Let me not unread. Can't find it now. Let me see. It came in like early this morning. I, I, I don't know, like, I don't know, seven in the morning or something. Eastern time. So, so somebody, you know, most people do celebrate New Year's and they get up and they feel like messaging me about a disappearance. It's just, it's just, it, it, I guess the only weirder thing would be somebody messaging me on like Christmas day or something like that. I don't know, but 
not sure where it's going to go, if anywhere. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to buy into or not or not. But if you're unclear on uh, what I usually do in those situations, when I get people to contact me about a disappearance, I automatically contact the guest for that episode. And I send the forward the message to that person and just say, here's what I got. You know, if you want to talk about it, we can do that. And I'll have you take a look at it, see if it seems like something that's believable or not to you. So that's how I handle things. Um, Unless it's, you know, unless it's something that's like totally, totally, totally outrageous. Like, yeah, she got beamed up by UFO or something. But if it's something... Within the realm of possibility, something that I think, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's not completely crazy, then I will pass it along to the guest. Um, Rockford says, I'm usually more skeptical, but I took the note of at face value, uh, going back to Lisa McGree Green's disappearance. My reasoning is based on Nick's reaction, i.e. they were supposed to beat her up to me then in case something was up, right? That is what Nick said. Uh, Rockford, that is certainly what Nick said. They were only supposed to beat Lisa up, which then infers that Nick knew that Lisa was already dead. So is he just taking their word that they killed her or was he actually there when it happened? I wonder. Well, and then there's Marty. Uh, of course, 2024, 2024 is here and nothing's changed. Uh, Marty's here about 36 minutes late. That's okay, Marty. You're allowed. Oh, hey, there's Kathy. Well, hello, Kathy. Hello, Jill. What's going on? Good to see both of you. So, yeah, something going on with Layla Faulkner. It's not going to be included in the update episode. And really what I just said now is as much as I can say. Um... Uh, it, it seems to be connected to something that recently happened in the Troy, Alabama area. That's all I really, really want to get into at this point. All right, moving on. Uh, while I was gone, um, you should know, while I was gone, I did not have my mail forwarded, 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 yeah, forwarded to uh, my dad's place in Pennsylvania. I really didn't think it was worth it. It's only going to be there for a couple weeks. Maybe if I'd have been there, going to plan to be there for like a month straight or something. Maybe even then, maybe I could just get my brother Brian to come over here and, and get my mail for me or something. I think I did do that at least once. But I didn't do anything. So the mail just kind of sat in my uh, box until I got back. And my you should know my mailbox is on the premises down on the second floor. And what do you know? I guess nobody should be too surprised that I got two more letters from Steve Pankey. I've not opened them yet. Uh, I, um, I'll maybe open them tomorrow. But they're pretty thin, so I'm guessing there's only one sheet of pay- paper in each. One is dated December 8th, so that's, that's wow, quite a while ago. That's like uh, well before I ever went to Colorado. I don't know why that took so long to get here. And then this one is dated December 23rd, which probably means this is a response. If you'll remember, I actually wrote him a letter that I mailed um, once I got to my dad's place around the 14th. So this probably, this one right here, 
his response to that and really what I wrote him had to do with what went on. Of course, the uh, the TV show that was done out there in Colorado. And um, how much do I want to say about that? I Like I said, I can't say anything about that. I'm not allowed. <laughs> so I can't say anything about why I wanted to talk to Steve about certain things after I was in Colorado because I'm not allowed to talk about these things publicly. But maybe one of these days, well, one of these days you will know uh, what the topics are, but um, I'm not allowed to say anything. Excuse me a minute. My computer just unplugged. All right, there you go. So I got two more letters for him. One is going to be a little out of date, like I said, December 8th, and then December 23rd. I will get to those tomorrow. The dude is prolific. Of course, I did write him um, when I wrote that letter to him around December 14th, 15th, somewhere in there. That was like a three-page letter typed out. So I had a lot to say. So there you go. Um, Panky letters. Yes, Hazel, panky letters. And uh, maybe I will talk about them next week, depending on um, what they say. Moving on. uh, uh, But you should know, of course, you know, Steve, being that I was just there for the, you know, out in Colorado in, in, uh, Greeley, Colorado. By the way, if I never go to Greeley, Colorado in my life again, I'm going to be really happy about that. I'm going to be really, really, I mean, it was beautiful there, that, that park and the lights and everything. It was just so beautiful. I had this great view from my room and all of you got to partake in that. I've seen the video, seen the pictures and everything, but I am so over Greeley, Colorado. You just do not even know it. Uh, moving on. Um, Flight 370, uh, at some point, I think this month, uh, I'm going to do an episode of Jeff Wise's uh, podcast. I'm hoping that some of you, I know maybe a, a lot of you, Flight 370, the disappearance of Flight 370 isn't exactly kind of um, you know your thing. You're more like into the more personal stories, and I get that. You're more into the, of course, the Mar Murrays, Tom Browns, Jason Jolkowski's, Lisa Marie Greens, and those types of disappearances. And maybe the disappearance of a jet with a bunch of people on it and all the technical jargon that's involved in Flight 370's disappearance satellites and all that other stuff, maybe not really your thing. Totally get it. So if you don't haven't gotten into the podcast that Jeff is doing called Deep Dive, uh, The Disappearance of Flight 370. I get it. But you should know that sometime soon, (coughs) here comes another cough, that uh, he and I will be recording an episode of it and really not sure, um, you know, it's his show, so he gets to determine the agenda. I've told him, first of all, you should know, he asked me to come on to his show. I did not invite myself. I didn't say like, you know what? I'd like to come on and talk about it. He actually brought it up first. I really, really thank him. In response though, I did tell him, here are the particular things that I would feel comfortable talking about 
regarding disappearances and the principles of disappearances that, that can relate even to Flight 370. Now, you should know, though, that a couple years ago, I did write something that he ended up putting on his blog, jeffwise.net, regarding – you have to remember something. Some of you maybe forget this, that I used to be a stage manager for a magic show. I did that uh, when I was in Las Vegas. I did that for about four years, Uh, roughly January of – 2005 to about September, October of 2008. Pretty consistently, probably averaging five days, four to five days a week where I would stage manage this magic show. So I have a lot of uh, experience, even though I'm not a magician, had really no ever any interest in magic or anything at all. But as you can imagine, it was a very neat job, a very cool, you know, very trend trendy type of job in Las Vegas. A lot of fun. The magicians were fantastic people, but I got to see a lot of the stuff, if not all of it, that goes on behind the scenes, how these tricks are done. And uh, and in some cases, if the magicians were going to be bringing in a new trick or something like that, as the stage manager, you know, I'd be there and kind of work things out and where the props going to go and, you know, cue it to the music and, and all this stuff, of course, make sure so nothing messes up. So the trick isn't revealed. I have a lot of experience in that area, even though it was like 15 years ago when I last did that. Well, what I did was a couple years ago when I wrote something to Jeff, I did, um, explain the disappearance of flight 370 not just from the standpoint of being, you know, into disappearances and having covered maybe about 200 of them at that point, but also looked at it from a standpoint of a magician's trick. And that, you know, what does a magician try to get you to do? It tries to, he, he or she tries to get you to look, you know, to the left when all this real, the, the good stuff's happening on the right. And one of the other things that the I, the way, my opinion, the way magicians uh, can pull off these tricks is that the public doesn't understand the amount of practice and the amount of engineering that goes into all of these tricks. I think that even for, you know, in the magic show I was doing was not David Copperfield. All right, with these grand, huge things in these big stages. Even at the level that our magic show was, even though these magicians had been around the world, they'd performed on cruise ships and everything else. You know, it was not that David Copperfield level. It was like a level below that as far as um, intricacy and the amount of money and things that have been put into the props. Even at that level, I was stunned at how tricky some of these contraptions and everything could be. Once again, when you get into magicians, nothing is as it seems. A bottle that just looks like a regular glass bottle is probably not a regular glass bottle. It just looks like one. 
And that regular glass bottle that probably you think you can exchange and get the money back for like, what it be these days, 15 cents or something. That regular glass bottle is not a regular glass bottle. In fact, it might be worth a hundred bucks. That's how much engineering and thing that have gone into. And I let, and dare I say, maybe once or twice in my four years, I broke a couple things and I'm not proud of that. <laughs> but this is also what came to my mind as I have been learning about Flight 370 and following it since it happened in 2014. In fact, we're coming up on the 10-year anniversary in the March. So I wrote this all to Jeff, and he found it very, really, really, really compelling, both from a standpoint of me being into disappearances, but also me having a, you know, a magic background and working with magicians and knowing what it takes to pull things off, very sophisticated things and pulling them off and, and fooling people, as some people might believe what happened with Flight 370. So I'm guessing it's probably going to be a combination of that when I end up showing up on Jeff's show. So I don't want any of you to really be surprised by that. And you're probably thinking, well, you're going to go on, you're going to talk about disappearance. And That's true. But I also think that, and it, once again, it's it's Jeff's show. Uh, he he determines the agenda, and I'm I'm happy to do it. But probably we're also going to talk about the idea of magic and how to fool people and what it goes into planning something like that out and making people think one thing happened when something else happened probably going to get into a lot of that. Now, is that what I personally believe? I've told you from the beginning that the reason that Jeff Wise gets so much of my respect, even though I know even some of you have written me, and in fact, some of you, a couple of you have written me, and I can't believe you had that kook Jeff Wise on your podcast way back in 2017 because you know, everything else is pretty straightforward. Uh, we don't go off necessarily into those areas on unfound. So I guess Jeff as a, a guest kind of maybe sticks out. I guess he and Steve Panky really stick out, but I have gotten that I've gotten people written writing me and says, you know, you do this great podcast and these families and everything. And then you have that kook Jeff wise on there. The reason that Jeff wise continues to get my experience, get my respect is from very early on. He said the plane would not be found in the Indian ocean and he's the only person who continues to be right. And that means something to me. To go out on, you know, to go in a totally different direction. When all these other people who are very respected, smart aviation people saying it's going to be found there, it's going to be found there. And then, it, and he's saying, guys, I don't think it is. And here's why. He's the one that continues to be right. And here are those other people who insisted it was going to be in the Indian Ocean. They continue to be make fun of, India, uh, of Jeff Weiss, even though they're the ones who so far have been proven to be wrong. And so that's why Jeff continues to get my respect. And, of course, you should know Jeff is a longtime, well-known, well-respected aviation journalist. And he's a pilot himself as well. Uh, he, you, he, well before flight 370 ever disappeared, you could find him on those air disaster shows and everything as a, uh, an authority figure on planes, plane crashes, the investigation of plane crashes and everything. So he is not a kook, but, uh, some people have portrayed him that way. 
and I continue to talk to him. We've just, in fact, just within the last 10 days, I think he was, a, even when I was sick, uh, we exchanged emails about, remember that, did you hear the story about this fisherman who allegedly found a plan, uh, a wing of the plane and then, you know, netted it and then he couldn't bring it in. So he let it go. Jeff and I had a short uh, back and forth about that. <coughs> so I'm going to be appearing here uh, in the near future. We've not recorded it yet. He's not um, picked out a date yet or anything, but surely uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation. And if you've not yet checked out, there are many episodes of his podcast now. They're, the episodes aren't very long. They're like maybe between 25 minutes and 40 minutes, something like that. But if you've not yet checked out his podcast, uh, Deep Dive, it is on iTunes and Spotify. And in fact, I think it's a YouTube channel. In fact, you can go on YouTube and you actually watch it as well if you want to do that. Um, I would check it out, if only for the reason that yours truly is going to be there on there in the near future. And maybe you just don't want to like parachute into my episode and really not know how things have gone to that point. Maybe for that reason only, maybe you want to check it out. So uh, there you go. So what's everybody uh, saying here? The Panky letters, yeah. Marty says, Panky letters are always interesting. Who knows what he will come up with next? Yep, who knows? Uh, I'll get to them, and hopefully we can do that next week. That's what people that live in Greeley say too, Charlie says. Like, they can't wait. They don't want to go back, I guess. Yeah, I was, um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, Charlie. The When I got driven back to the Denver airport that Thursday, the person, uh, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a business called the Greeley Express, and all it does is goes back and forth between the Denver airport and the Greeley area, picking people up, you know, getting paid to pick people up, bring them, you know, to Greeley. And just so happened that the guy was driving me to the airport that Thursday was actually the owner of the company. And he was talking about how since he had moved there, the Greeley's really gone downhill. The crime has really gone up and drugs have really moved in and everything else. So uh, as I will tell you, maybe some of you even remember this. Um, when I went there for the first trial in 2021, uh, I had to walk across that same park with all the Christmas lights. I had to walk across that park from that hotel over to the courthouse. And I was stunned how many homeless people they had in that park. Just like, what, 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 what's going on here? So uh, that's Greeley for you. Uh, Valerie says, Steve thinks he's your best friend forever. Uh, little does he know. Valerie, uh, I continue to talk to him for information purposes only. Everything Steve's in love, oh, behave, everything. With himself, he needs attention is all, but I love the letters. So interesting. Well, we'll keep exchanging them, Valerie. Uh, Hazel says, I'm really intrigued with Flight 370. Well, then you should check that podcast out if you've not uh, done so yet, Hazel. You can find it uh, here on YouTube or... um, on uh, uh, iTunes or Spotify, the episodes are not, you know, like I said, there's probably like about 15 episodes out now, but they're not that long. So if you're really into it, I think you should check it out. Everything's same to you as well. 
What about the magician on flight 370? He made it disappear. All right. Uh, that's not exactly what we're saying. Everything. Um, Shree's a reminding everybody. Thank you. I can't see the, uh, with the, the stream yard, uh, interface. I can't see the thumbs up. Shree's reminding all of you that we would like to see, uh, some more thumbs up people. So please get to it. I'd appreciate it. Uh, Hazel says she just watched interesting piece on flight 370. Yeah. Marty likes 372. Um, Lori Go Cowboys was 370 roughly 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years this March. March, I went missing uh, March 2014, Lori. So we're coming up on 10 years. Yes. 10 years. And I find the look, the kook theories are always the most interesting. Keeps you thinking about the non-mainstream possibilities. Yeah, that's true, Mark. Uh, But as you also know that, I'm not a, you know, when it comes to theories, I'm not much of an interesting guy. You know, I just, I just got to be who I am and with the work that I do. I think a lot of you, you know, and I get it. A lot of you, um, probably a lot more prone to go down the rabbit holes because you find something so interesting as a coincidence and you go off on that tangent, everything. I just can't afford to to really be like that. And so usually the word interesting when it comes to theories is not really the way I'm thinking. I may find something that's interesting as far as a particular fact or something, but when it comes to theories, uh, you know, I'm more intrigued by uh, the ones that are really, really, you know, just very straightforward, dare I say, almost boring in contrast to the interesting ones. But that's probably just me because this, you know, just what I do. Uh, everything. I'll search for that podcast should be interesting. Ed. Uh, yeah, the Jess uh, podcast is called Deep Dive. Deep Dive uh, came out in November. I would definitely look into the podcast. All right, Marty. Thank you. All right. Let's get to all of these articles and this news. Where do I want to start? I want to start with this, this um, Chinese student in Utah who was allegedly a victim of cyber kidnapping. So that's where we're going to go first. Of course, this is a story that is almost a couple weeks old now. Uh, but once again, since we didn't do a live show last Monday, now we'll do it today. This comes to you from Riverdale, Utah. Riverdale P- police said Sunday night <coughs> that a missing 17-year-old foreign exchange student has been found safe and that he was the victim of cyber kidnapping. Kai Zhuang was reported missing Thursday. So it's like a couple weeks ago now. Police asked for the public's help to find him Friday and said he was considered endangered because Kai's family in China had received a ransom note and a photo of their child that would indicate he may have been kidnapped. When police responded to the residence of the host family Kai was staying with, they were unaware that he was missing reporting that he'd been home that night prior and they had heard him early that morning. 
Riverdale Police Chief Casey Warren said Sunday that Kai was manipulated and controlled by cyber kidnappers who made him believe that his family in China was threatened and that the family had to pay $80,000 due to continuous threats from the kidnappers after seeing a photograph that made it appear that he was being held captive and was in danger. The Riverdale Police Department worked with the FBI and the U.S. Embassy in China along with Chinese officials. Through their interactions, the police learned more about cyber kidnapping and how it could apply to this case, Warren said. The FBI briefed Riverdale police on multiple recent cases where cyber kidnappers targeted Chinese foreign exchange students. The perpetrators threatened the young foreign exchange students and their families while demanding ransom, telling the students to isolate themselves and wander to rest to take pictures of themselves that make it look like they are being held captive and send them uh, to their families, Warren said, through obtaining bank records, purchases over the last month, phone ping records, and after discovering a recent encounter with police in Provo, who were concerned for Kai's safety after he attempted to set up a campsite, Riverdale police believe Kai was self-isolating in a Brigham City Canyon area. Kai was found Sunday by a Riverdale detective in the mountains near Brigham City alive but very cold and scared. The victim he was relieved to see police. The victim had no heat source inside the tent, only a heat blanket, which doesn't only uh, not going to work if you don't have electricity. A sleeping bag, limited food and water, and several phones that were presumed to be used to carry out the cyber kidnapping, Warren said in a statement. Kai was able to speak to his family and ensure, ensure him they were safe and also given a warm cheeseburger on his way back to the Riverdale Police Department. I have to admit that when I saw this story, this did sound like some sort of scam. Uh, But I also have to admit that, and, and in fact, I mean, the story says what it says. It seems like uh, this young man was not uh, an instigator of this at all. But I have to admit that I was thinking, could this just possibly be that this kid was kidnapping himself? Was he just making it look like uh, he got kidnapped in the United States or something? So has his... So his family would send him a bunch of money uh, here in the United States, maybe so he wouldn't have to go back to China or whatever else. It seems that's not what's going on here, but I also have to admit that I've read this story. I'm just reading what what was written. Uh, And there are, of course, many stories uh, about this particular you know, incident. None of them are that clear. I'm still not sure how this all works. I know they explain it in this article, but I read this article like 10 times in preparation for this live show tonight, and I still can't make the heads or tails of it. So, so, you know, how, so how did the, the, the cyber kidnappers even know that this Chinese exchange student is even in the United States? How would they know that? To me, this sounds like something that is originating not in the United States, but most likely rela- starting in China. I, I realize when we start thinking about... Um, 
you know, cyber terrorism. And, if, and uh, many of you've heard about how there are hackers that will get into hospital computers and lock everybody out and they'll hold a ransom, you know, pay us, send it in Bitcoin to this address and we'll let your system go. We know that those things happen. And I, I think a lot of, uh, there's a lot of reason to believe that these either the Russians or the North Koreans or maybe just independent contractors, people working on their own, mostly outside of the United States who are doing this. But something like this, if it is, if it's true that these cyber kidnappers are, kidnappers are targeting Chinese foreign exchange students in particular, this just sounds like something that's originating in China. Because I can't figure out, you know, how would some uh, Russian hacker know that Chinese exchange? I suppose there's some database out there, but out there somewhere. But that seems a little, really, really complicated to me. But I still can't figure out how this all works. Why did this? He so he took off because he was afraid. But then the the family that he was staying with said there was nothing wrong with them. It's it's so hard to understand. I, I, I will admit, um, I'm still not sure we're getting the straight story on this. I have to admit that because I just the way it's written, I just can't figure this out. Cyber kidnappers. <coughs> So they convinced Kai that he needed to go off and isolate himself or what? They were going to get to come and kill him or they were going to go. They were going to go kill his family in China. That seems unlikely too. Uh, you should know that uh, as you could probably guess the murder rate in China, at least the, the <laughs> maybe I need to put it this way. The on the record stats for murder in China, the China murder rate is not that high. Of course, we know how they manipulate things over there. It's just hard for me to visualize how you put something like this together. Who's paying what? The family's going to pay the money to the kidnappers, and then they what? The kidnappers are going to tell this kid that it's okay to come back to. You know, how, they said he had all these phones. Well, where did they get the? Where did he get these phones from? Were they sending them? Were they sending him them in the mail? What was he telling this family that he was staying with? Why did they have his address? On and on and on, the questions continue to go, and it just sounds so smelly to me. So I'm just wondering if uh, I know many of you know this story. I don't know if you know what that this was the resolution to it. I think a lot of you saw that there was this 17 year old Chinese exchange student in Utah who was missing. And you might've also read that it's, it very well could be that he was kidnapped or being held against his will or anything. Well, he wasn't being held against his will. It's, I guess he was being held against his will over the internet. Is this, is this kind of like, um, you know, the catfishing that's done. We hear so much of where, uh, young people, mainly underage people, they meet somebody and they end up sending inappropriate pictures. And it ends up being that the person who's getting the pictures is like a 34-year-old who still lives in his parents' basement. 
And then this guy threatens to make them public unless these kids, uh, you know, send them, you know, find out, figure out a way to send them a bunch of money. Is this what we're talking about? It just doesn't quite sound like that either. So I think this story is fishy. I know there's probably somebody out there. No, this is a real thing. I'm not saying it's not a real thing. I just think that this story leaves so much. Like I said, the victim had no heat source inside the tent. He was up in the mountains near Brigham City. Well, did he have cell phone reception or not? Only a heat blanket, sleeping bag, limited food, and one of several phones that were presumed. How did he get these phones? Did he go buy them? Did they did they extort him? They said, you're going to have to go get these phones or else. And the story starts off with, I, I want to remind, remember, he was found out in, the, out in the mountains by himself. But his the family he was with said, when police responded to the residents of the host family Kai was staying with, they were unaware that he was missing. Reporting that he had been home the night prior and they had heard him early that morning. But the police find him out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know. Uh, just, I'm so, I, I, in my job, as I've told all of you many times, in my job, it pays so much to just be cynical about these types of things. So I can't get away from the idea that Kai might have been a, an accomplice in this. Not necessarily in the instigator, but maybe an accomplice, uh, a co-conspirator in this uh, somehow or some way. So there you go. Um, that is the first story that I wanted to um, pass along to you. Uh, Laurie says, oh man, I'm so late, Boomy. That's all right, Laurie. Got the rest of 2024 to make up for it. Sheree, I believe it is a scam where neither family was, a, was aware or involved. Okay. So maybe the cyber kidnappers are telling Kai's family in China one thing. They're telling Kai, of course, something totally different. So it's like side these people on the internet. I don't know. Once again, how do they track these people down? How do they even know what to do? How do they know these secret forms? Just seems like you need to know a lot of information about these people. Um you know, they, they maybe tell the family, we have your son, give us this money. But then they contact the son and say, we have your family, you know, here's what you got to do. Maybe that's how it works. Maybe that's how it works. The story is very fishy. I'm not buying. So Rockford's with me on this, okay? Uh, can't leave China without government permission, right? Um, Laurie, I don't know that. Uh, I think that... Uh, Chinese people are free to go on vacations. It's not North Korea. I think they're free to go on vacations and things. And, and if you really, really want to get technical, Laura, Laurie, um, nobody can leave your country without government permission. <laughs> if you really, really want to get technical, I mean, uh, you know, we have to get, if you want to go to 
most other countries, you have to have a passport and you may not be able to get a passport, which means you can't go to these other countries. I mean, even these days, when it comes to Canada, as an American, you can't get into Canada now without a passport. So I don't know if that qualifies as permission, but it's not like Americans can just jump on jets and go wherever they want and just be led into any other country or something. So, um, you know, my impression is that Chinese people, despite the reputation of their country, uh, they do have a lot of uh, travel freedom. Um, but we also know, uh, as if maybe see, you've seen some of these stories that it seems more and more that the Chinese government is, does have people here in the United States that are spying on people who used to be, uh, in China, but now live here. Maybe they're not necessarily China, uh, Americans yet. They might be here on visas or green cards, whatever you want to call it. And the Chinese government is, uh, keeping very, very close eyes on them for whatever reason. So there's that. And in a visa, thank you, everything. Uh, Cherie saying, I'm saying, I think Kia came up with this plan. All right. So uh, another, we'll put another one uh, in the uh, very suspicious of the story camp along with Rockford. All right. I'm just reading the stories, giving you some insight. Uh, my best understanding uh, of these things. Uh, of course, as you all know, we heard a lot of, if you've been a long time listener of Unfound, we hear a lot of crazy stories. And uh, this is one of those things that I went back, uh, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, that I think I can talk about in trying to communicate with the production company while I was being interviewed for this episode of the series that's going to come out about the murder of Jonah Matthews. One of the things I had a hard time communicating to the people, mainly the director, and there were one other person who questioned me, um, trying to convey this kind of weird world that I live in. The world, the world, the weird life that I have given the work that I do. It was very hard to kind of convey that to them. Uh, and, but this kind of story like this kind of falls right in line with kind of what we do because we hear these, these, uh, you know, these uh, outrageous stories. We don't know if they're true or not. Um, you know, pick a disappearance. I mean, there's a lot of disappearances that we've covered where maybe there haven't been that many crazy stories, but we've had a lot of disappearance with a lot of crazy stories as well. <clears throat> so this is why it pays to be cynical. All right, moving on. Um, I want to talk now about this, uh, the real Chinese youth university students studying in Australia are monitored in a multitude of ways. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, the real... Once again, The Real, uh, it's so good to see you in the chat tonight. I hope you're doing well uh, down there in Australia. Once again, The Real says Chinese university students studying in Australia are monitored in a multitude of ways. I know. I believe it, The Real. I believe it. All right. I want to talk about this woman who uh, went missing in Orlando some years ago uh, and now has been found. A dive team in Florida claims to have found the body of a woman who went missing 11 years ago. Sunshine State Sonar, say that three times fast, said their search team located the body of Sandra Lemire submerged in a van in a pond near Disney World. 
The group posted photos and videos of a red van being pulled from the pond in Orlando. Now, you should know in preparation for this live show, I did uh, go uh, Google Street View, went to the very spot where this van uh, was pulled out of, and I'll have a little insight into that in a moment. According to police, Lee Meyer was last saving her grandmother's home in Orlando in 2012. Police said she was on her way to Kissimmee to meet a man she had met online through a dating service. People said she frequently met and dated men through the internet. So, of course, this all sets it up. Well, maybe she went to meet this guy and something bad happened. Makes a lot of sense. She was last seen leaving a Kissimmee restaurant driving her grandmother's 2004 red Ford's freestyle van. That's like a Ford minivan. Orlando police confirmed in Fox News Digital that a 2004 Ford van was found in a body of water on World Drive on Sunday. Osceola Sheriff's deputies and the Orange County Sheriff's dive team assisted in the response. Police are working to identify the remains found inside the van. When questioned by Fox News Digital, police would not comment on whether or not the body was Sandra Lemire. Officials said the Florida Highway, Florida Highway Patrol is handling the traffic crash investigation. A preliminary report by the Florida Highway Patrol states that a Ford Freestar van was traveling on the state route 417 southbound exit ramp to World Drive when, for unknown reasons, the van's driver ran off the roadway and entered a retention pond. Kind of like Esther Westenbarger. As a result of the crash, officers stated that the van became completely submerged. The specific time and date of the crash remains under investigation. Lee Meyer's son, Timothy Lee Meyer, mourned his mother on Facebook. It looks like she took an exit ramp a little too quick and went straight into the water, Lee Meyer wrote. What hurts the most is me thinking about if she suffered or if she knew that she was trapped and couldn't get out. It kills me to even think that she knew she was going to pass. I don't know how to take it. Just wish I could have had a chance to say goodbye to her, continued. The medical examiner's office will provide an update once they have positively identified the deceased, police said. So I went and took a look at this location and, uh, the best I can do, uh, without having the map in front of me and everything is that now, first of all, maybe we should take a look at this just from a disappearance point of view. Had this been, uh, an unfound disappearance that we got to, of course, before it was solved. So we have this woman, she was there in Kissimmee. She's with the van. She and the van go missing. But she was known to meet new men online. Of course, we know that's risky. I'm not saying that she was into anything illegal like prostitution or anything. Just all by itself. Uh, especially for women, meeting new men online is dangerous. Okay, we know that. But we also know that a high percentage of the time, although, you know, there are exceptions, but a high percentage of the time, then when a person and a car go missing together, the longer that disappearance goes unsolved, the more likely it is that the car and the person are going to be found together. Now, the exception, of course, would be Eric Frank's. On the other hand, we just recently had um, Donald Irwin. That's going to get. I'm going to talk about that in the update episode. Of course, we had Esther Westenbarger, and uh, there are many, of course, many others that uh, Unfound is not covered 
that uh, where there was a resolution, the same thing, or it's a long time missing, the car is missing, the person is missing, and then boom, they're found together. So had this been an unfound disappearance, it should have been in our minds. Yeah, it very well could be she ran into the wrong guy, but then we have to start thinking, well, then how did the vehicle go missing too? Does that mean that the guy took the vehicle did he kill her and put her leave her in the vehicle and push it into a, a body of water somewhere? That sounds kind of complicated. Not impossible, certainly conceivable. I don't know how possible though. Could it be that um, you know, is there some is there some other type of circumstance that we might try to visualize? Because you, what usually happens in these situations, if it were uh, a theory that she went to meet a guy and he killed her. Usually what happens is that the vehicle is found parked in some parking lot somewhere. That's usually what happens. Of course, that did not happen here. So we would have to look at it from that standpoint. Yes, maybe a guy killed her, but that van's missing. So we might actually be open to the idea that, yes, she did get into a car wreck. Now, it seems that Sunshine State Sonar kind of came to the same conclusion. Maybe they're listening to Unfound. <laughs> Maybe they're listening to uh, what I have to say about these things in that you get these disappearances that have been unsolved and the cars are missing. What makes most sense is that the person and the car are together. And it's probably not foul play. And so that is, I guess, uh, eventually how they were just going retention pond to retention pond with this drone. Now, you should know I did a Google uh, – I went to Google Earth Pro and went back to like 2011, 2012 and took a look at this particular retention pond. You cannot see, at least with a the resolution there, you cannot see um, – any outlines of any vehicles in that retention pond. In addition, you can't see any tracks or anything like that. And I looked at updated photos like 2014, 2016, 2018. It, it, the, the van, I don't, the, the retention pond must be like the one that Esther Westenbarger went into that. It must've been, even though this retention pond that she went into is not very big, it must've been deep. Now, to explain how this happened, most likely, I think one of the key facts is that this retention pond did not have a fence around it. If you go um, see a lot of these ponds that are near highways and things, usually they do have fences around them. Why? For safety reasons. Not necessarily meaning that the fence is going to be able to stop a car that's going 60, 70 miles an hour, but a downed fence will let, let the police know that probably somebody did go into that retention pond. It's a good way to tell, you know, it's somebody, even if you miss the tire tracks and everything, you might miss the tire tracks and everything. You're not going to miss a fence that's been torn down by a car running through it. Well, in looking at this, wouldn't you know that the retention pond that was on the right side of the road did have a fence bordering it, like one of those wire fences, nothing, no, nothing of great engineering feet or anything, but just enough. Whereas the, the, the retention pond that she went into did not have a fence around it. 
And it seems what happens, and this is a very complex, and I think that uh, the police are going to get this right. I think that her son gets it right as well. If you can visualize this, she would have been coming, if you're watching here on the screen, she would have been coming uh, down this highway, probably 60, 65 miles an hour in a, going in a southwest direction like this. I know it's opposite to you watching. Coming, But then the exit was a very tight exit, and she was going to have to go this big loop, and she was kind of going to have to go back in kind of like a northeast direction. So she, she was changing highways, but she was almost going to be going back in the opposite direction. It's very You can look it up. If you look up the intersection of World Drive and, and Route 417 in Orlando, Florida, you will find it. But she's coming in a southwest direction, and she's going to have to loop around to go back in like a somewhat north northeast direction. And it's right in that turn is where this retention pond is. And if she was going too fast, if she would not be able to make that tight turn, she would have gone right into this retention pond that was in the big, in the middle of this what we might call a little bit of a cloverleaf, you know, where all these highways come intersection and it looks like a, uh, doesn't really look like a, this one doesn't look like a cloverleaf from the sky, but you know what I mean, where all these different roads are coming together and shooting people off in different directions. It's one of those. Well, there's a retention pond right there. And my perception as is, has been stated in this article she was just going too fast and she couldn't make the turn. Maybe because she was in a vehicle that wasn't hers. She didn't know the handling characteristics. We know the minivans don't handle very well <coughs> as it is. Of course, on the other hand, maybe she swerved to miss a deer and we'll never know. You'll never know that unless she hit it. You'll never know. And this is something that I continue to think about, like thinking about Audrey uh, Heron's uh, disappearance that I've convinced myself being that the waterways have been searched and everything is I think it could have been a situation where she was driving home, maybe taking an alternate route and she swerved to miss some sort of animal and went over into a ditch or down a gully or something like that. And she and the vehicle just haven't been found yet. That's still what I believe with Audrey Heron's disappearance. So it doesn't have to necessarily be speed uh, induced. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, you know, a tight turn induced or anything like that. It very could well could just be a straight lane piece of road and a deer jumps out, person swerves to miss it. And there you go, right off the road, never to be seen again. These things happen. Very, very, very sad. But in this particular case, although a deer could have been in that little bend there, that's some pretty bad luck. I just think probably she was going too fast. But still, it's one of those things. Had there been a fence around this retention pond, like is around the retention pond that's on the other side of the road, this disappearance would have been solved fairly quickly. I mean, I think she would have gone through the fence and still gone into the water and gotten killed and still very sad. But somebody would have come along and said, you know what? The only reason this fence is down because a car went through here and man, we're going to have to go look in this retention pond and she would have been found pretty easily. 
back in 2012. This is how these things work. This is just the little things that make a huge difference. Just like when we go back to Esther Westenbarger's disappearance. I mean, really what happens if uh, they don't uh, put a little chemical in that retention pond and clear all the muck out of it. She's still missing. It's crazy. It's so crazy how these things happen and how they get solved and why they don't get solved and just, Fence here, no fence there can make all the difference in the world. It's crazy. So if you want to look that up again, um, her disappearance is on the Charlie Project. And uh, once again, if you want to look it up, uh, her name is Sandra Lemire, L-E-M-I-R-E. If you'd like to go to this Charlie Project and see what has been on there all these years, what has been written about her. And uh, then you can just do a search or Google search to find out what is now being said about her recovery. All right, moving on. Uh, Another disappearance uh, that has been solved. And in this case, this is surely a murder that they're now going to uh, have to investigate. This comes to us from Lake Tahoe. Human remains remains, (coughs) – another one. Human remains found decades ago near Lake Tahoe have finally been identified as missing nurse Donna Lass, L-A-S-S. Lass was 25 years old when she was reported missing to South Lake Tahoe police in 1971. The Placer County Sheriff's Office said in a Facebook post, Lass was last seen on September 7th, 1970. I was a, a month and six days old. When she went missing walking, she was seen walking with a young blonde man outside her apartment, according to a local newspaper clipping posted by the sheriff's office. The investigative leads surrounding the disappearance of Lass were exhausted and the case remains unsolved. That is until an unidentified human skull was found off of Highway 20 near Interstate 80 close to Lake Tahoe in 1986. So 16 years later in the decades since. The skull was kept preserved at the Placer County Coroner's Office. A cold case team was recently established by the Placer County Sheriff's Office and the District Attorney's Office to allocate additional resources to assist in the investigation of unsolved missing persons and suspicious deaths. The team recently sent the skull to the California Department of Justice for DNA testing. The California Department of Justice Bureau of Forensic Services was able to match the DNA of the skull with the DNA from a member of Donna Lass's family, which was obtained by the South Lake Tahoe Police Department for their missing persons case. This allowed them to identify the skull as the remains of Donna Lass. South Lake Police Department notified Lass's surviving relatives last week that she had been located. We are extremely grateful that his team effort that this team effort was able to bring closure to the last family and are hopeful that the cold case detectives can continue to make advances in these cases. Lass's cause of death is unknown. Lake Tahoe police are continuing the investigation and ask anyone with information related to the case to contact detectives at cybertips at city of Now here's what the Charlie project page uh, has to say about Donna's disappearance. Last disappeared from her job at South Lake Tahoe, California on September 6, 1970. She worked as a registered nurse as the first aid station at the first aid station 
at the Sahara Hotel Casino. And her last logbook entry was timed at 1.50 a.m. Her car was found parked near her apartment in State Line, Nevada, but nobody saw her leave the casino. In contrast to what was said before in the article that she was last seen at her apartment. So I don't know what to make of that. In 1986, Lassa's skull was found off Highway 20 near Interstate 80 in Placer County, California. No other remains or evidence was located at the time. The skull was identified as Lass's in December 2023, almost 40 years after it was located and over 50 years after Lass's disappearance. Her death is under investigation. Now, of course, the big thing that comes to my mind regarding all of this, and I, I should say, um, Lass's disappearance, I think, once in a while has been brought up as a possibility for the Zodiac Killer. I'm thinking. I I think that her name has popped up uh, maybe being on a couple lists here and there. I don't know if there was any proof of that or not. But uh, so if you've ever maybe if you're hearing the name and thinking, man, that seems familiar, maybe that could be where you heard Nana Lass's uh, name before. That Now, I've known about her disappearance, but what I will tell you is I don't remember what the article says about her actually being seen in her apartment, being seen with a guy with blonde hair. The way I've always understood it um, is that she was last seen at her job. And that, yes, her car ended up at her place, but nobody actually saw her there. My understanding was always that she disappeared from the casino, not that she disappeared from her apartment. But this article um, seems to say otherwise. I, I, I don't know how to make heads. There's no way to, uh, at least uh, with this information, to resolve either of those. You know, saying, well, no, she was last seen at, the hotel knows she was last seen at her, her home with, with some guy with blonde hair. I don't know what to make of that. But where I want to go with this is that why did it take this long? The skull was found in 1986. DNA testing has been around since the mid-1990s. And if her family is like a lot of these families, they've had their DNA in the uh, in the database for a very long time. I know that's not something we get deep, deep, deep into in the interviews that I do with the guests, but just take for granted that most of these people, if not the guest or somebody or some, at least somebody else in the family, they've had their DNA in the, in the database for a very long time. Of course, if the disappearance is, is old, of course, newer ones, then of course their DNA isn't going to be in within until the last few years. But when we start talking about disappearances that unfound is covered from the 1970s and 1980s, most of the the families have had their DNA DNAs in the evidence like 20 years. I'd say that's about average. And because, of course, they want to do that. They, they, they want to do that. They're not reluctant to do that. So how is it? You know, where I'm going with this is Everybody in that area knows that Donna Lass is missing. She went missing in 1970. A skull is found in 1986. And I realized at that point, DNA quite hadn't come along yet. But did come along in the 
in the mid-1990s. Now, why is it then that it took all of this time for a skull that was found in the general area of the country where Donna went missing for the DNA on that skull to not be tested until 2023? That is crazy. Why did the, you know, why did they not, as soon as the, 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 the lasses put their DNA in the, into the database, probably several years ago, why wasn't that automatically done? You got this skull, you got this missing woman. And, and as you know, you know, with the this technology we have today, you can look at a human skull, at least people in this business, scientists, they can look at a skull and tell if it's either a man or a woman. By the the ridges of the eyebrows, by the jaw, a lot of different features that uh, a scientist who specializes in this, they can look at a skull and make a pretty, pretty, pretty good guess of whether it's a male or female. In fact, we've gotten to the point now where they can even look at a skull and be able to tell the ethnicity and everything else, the race, etc. They have a woman missing. They find a skull right over the border in California from where this uh, casino was. And they don't test it with DNA until 2023. I, uh, I, I don't know what to make of this. This is the stuff that drives you nuts. It's right there. Just do it. <laughs> You'd think this is one of those things that you would think would be automatic. You would think, uh, just using my uh, home county of Pinellas County here in Florida as an example, if they were to find a skull tomorrow along some canal out there and be able to determine, that, you know, we think this is a woman, it's an adult woman, uh, probably uh, between the ages of 25 and 60, and we believe, given the uh, deterioration of the skull, that we think probably it's been there for 20 years. You would think that just go automatically to the records and start looking for 25 to 60-year-old females who went missing 20 years ago and start seeing if they have the DNA. And they do, they just start doing the testing. You'd think that would how it would be. It just doesn't seem it works that way. It just doesn't seem it works that way. And this is why I continue to believe it would not surprise me. In fact, we've, we, you know, we've actually found this out a couple times on Unfound. I don't know, you know, like I said, I would never, I know Kathy, who's in the chat, is really good at this. The, the rest of you, I, I, you know, I realize that nobody, everybody, has a mind like this. I have a mind like this because this is my work. And, and Kathy, who's in the chat, has a mind because she's brilliant. But we've had, you know, might not remember this, but we've had this happen on Unfound. Remember, um, Chris Turner. Chris Turner's remains were found, although it was unknown they were found. This is kind of my point. They were found before Unfound ever did the episode on Chris Turner's disappearance in Las Vegas. That episode came out. He went missing in 
August of 2016. I think that episode came right out after the first anniversary in August 2017. His remains were found in the Las Vegas desert in April of 2017, like, like four or five months before the episode ever came out, but nobody knew. Even though they were right there, they could tell that it was a young man. Chris had just gone missing the year before, and they never did any DNA testing. In fact, they just put him in an unmarked grave. The other one that this happened on was Noah Davis. Maybe forget this, but that one bone of Noah Davis was found well before Unfound ever did its episode on Noah Davis's disappearance. And in fact, it, it, maybe some of you know The Vanished also covered uh, Noah's uh, disappearance uh, a couple years before we did. And same thing. It's still the same story. That bone was found even before Marissa, I think, did that episode. On Noah Davis. But somehow nobody got around to testing that bone against Noah, even though everybody knew it was well-known information that Noah went missing uh, a half mile from where that bone was found. And nobody, they didn't test it. <laughs> they had to wait until like 2021 or whatever it was. And he went missing in 2014 or something. How do these things happen? What are people doing? <coughs> And I and I have to believe this is going to happen again. In fact, I almost can guarantee that probably that some of the disappearances that Unfound covered in 2023, the remains have already been found. We just don't know it yet because nobody's done any DNA testing yet. That would not surprise me at all. That would not surprise me at all. So here's a, here's an example of this where this family could have known years ago that Donna was dead, that mo- of course most, 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 most likely she was murdered, and the investigation into her murder could have started 20 years ago if not longer ago, but no, it, now now it's 2024. I just don't get it. It's that's why I, I mean I know sometimes these guests when they end up talking to me for the first time and you know I still run into this. I I, I can't necessarily blame these people. Uh, at least here in the United States, we we're very deferential. At least most people are to law enforcement, and especially these people want to believe that the police. You know, we're doing their best. They're doing everything they can. And I have to come along and tell them, no, they're not. I hate to depress you. I hate to make you feel bad, but that's not what they're doing. I'm not saying they're avoiding it. I'm not saying they have anything personally against you. I'm not saying that uh, they have something against missing persons cases necessarily. I'm not necessarily saying they're lazy or anything. I'm just saying they're not doing what they're supposed to, they should be doing. And you probably shouldn't listen to them. And then you're probably going to have to do things yourself. The problem, of course, you can't do DNA testing on your own. They're the ones that have the remains. You don't. But that's, those are the facts.
It's just another example of this. See what everybody's uh, saying here. I think I got some responses. Um, um, Rockford says, Lee Marquez is a good reminder that someone can have things going on in her life that raise eyebrows, but can disappear due to bad driving during mis- driving miscalculation. Absolutely. Driving is more dangerous than dating. Uh, yeah, but not by much, Rockford. Uh, Rockford lost. Last has been connected with Zodiac quite a bit. Yeah, right. Thank you, Rockford, for backing me up on that. I think Maine's covered it, and I know many others have. Okay, so I'm not crazy. Laura, you know how they have these indoor skydiving places? Sometimes I wish there was a simulator of a car sinking in water to help us learn what to do. There's a lot of uh, lot of YouTube videos on that very topic, Laura, and you're certainly true. Um, for all you, uh, par- you, of course, for you parents out there, they're sell- yourselves, but you have any teenagers who are learning to drive probably good idea to get them to watch those videos. Uh, everything Laura is a special force is they do have cars underwater and you have to escape and free yourself. Yeah. Laurie says there's rape kits that, that old that haven't been tested. Yep. I've heard about the back uh, log on that too, Laura or Laurie. Sorry. Right, the skull is the money piece, but even with dental records, you'd think they'd have some idea. You'd think. Well, I have a feeling that a lot of missing bodies are probably right over the borders of some of these states. Could be. Uh, sometimes people set it up that way to, to create jurisdictional issues. Could be. Uh, it takes common sense, or everything says, and that's why it wasn't tested years ago. Jill, I think the other big issue with this is that all you I'd your IDs actually go to the metal examiner. And if you're in a large county such as Maricopa or even LA County, the first thing that comes to mind is taking care of what's right in front of you. And then the you unidentified uh, go on a second back burner until somebody calls. Yeah. I don't get it. Uh, yeah. Kathy is brilliant. Everybody's uh, you're Yep. You are Kathy. You are. Well, I heard it's like $5,000 a pop to test. I get it, Laurie, but they're going to have to do these tests eventually anyway. I get it. They don't want to do it because it's expensive. Well, you do it now, you do it later when it's more expensive. Nothing gets any cheaper. (laughs) So uh, I get it. They don't have it in the budget. Well, eventually you're going to have to have it in the budget, and you're just going to have to put up with more crap later when people find out that you put it off. Just do it now. Yeah, reminds me of Dawn and her son in Vegas, right? Chris Turner. Exactly right. Well, I pretty much made my husband listen to true crime. Huh? He said, you know what? I'd noticed almost every time it's a police mistake. Yep. Yeah, Chris, Shree, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Um, you want to become very realistic when it comes to the the capabilities of the police uh, start listening to unfound. Uh, Like I said, we are not anti-police here. We're not pro-police. We're not rah, 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 sis, boom, bah. We're not defund the police here, anything like that. Uh, We present all of these problems in very realistic ways, and we just can't help that it makes the police look really, really bad. Can't help that. Can't help it. We're not trying to make them look bad. 
And I'm sure they'll have some explanation of for why they're not doing this and why they're not doing that. The, the issue is, though, that that's not the point. They should be doing it. I know they have reasons that they aren't doing it, but they should be doing that. That's all that matters. Uh, I think that we've learned when it comes to police, we just should be thankful the police departments don't build bridges. We should be we should be really happy the police departments don't build nuclear reactors. We should be uh, we should be happy the police departments aren't the ones who are in control of the power grid or something like that. Or we'd all be in really, really big trouble for as many things as they let slide and the things that seem to fall through the cracks and everything else. That's what we've learned, I think. So it's their response. They're the ones who want the responsibility. I, I get it. Well, you shouldn't crap on us. It's your responsibility. If you don't want the responsibility to give it to somebody else. The problem is, as we've seen, they want it all. They want to, they don't want to share their information from it with anybody because it will ruin investigations, investigations that aren't really happening. Investigations that they're not really doing. DNA testing that they're not really doing. They want all the responsibility uh, they want all of the power, but none of the responsibility. It's horrible. Now, how have we got here? This is uh, a question far outside the realm of disappearances, but I think that, that uh, this carries over into a lot of other areas of at least the American culture and American law enforcement and and everything else. This is a bigger story than just disappearances. It really is. And um, maybe a few months ago, maybe longer than that ago, I got in a mood while I was writing the Patreon blog and I got right to the core of why this is going on, but I really don't want to uh, air any of that here for now. But here we go. Why does it take so long? Had her skull for all these years since 1986. It doesn't get tested till 2023, even though they've surely had her family's DNA for like the last 20 years. I don't know. Laurie says, is it a testosterone thing or I don't know, never understood the possessiveness? Well, there's a lot of uh, women in law enforcement now these days too, Laurie. Uh, A lot of blame to go along between all genders. I think it's an institutional thing. Uh, and, uh, if I can say this, um, we, uh, have a, you know, the way that our educational system and, uh, what we would call the capitalist system in the United States and, and all of it put together, I don't think we get the best and brightest going into law enforcement. All right, we we know that the best and brightest usually in our country are what are aspiring to be doctors and lawyers and uh, stockbrokers and Instagram influencers and things like that. 
Um, but I think that's one of the issues. You don't get too many valedictorians that end up being uh, the local police chief. You may end up getting a valedictorian who ends up being the commissioner of the police in some big city, but that's really a political position. You don't get too many salutorians and 4.0 graduates and people like that who end up driving patrol cars and pulling people over for speeding. And uh, my own, it's totally anecdotal, but two of the worst guys I knew in high school ended up being police officers. No, I, and I, you know, on the other hand, there are a lot of great police officers. I get that, but we don't. Our our system of our culture um, does not bring the best and brightest to law enforcement. There, I said it. Okay, that's all I want to say. All right, uh, moving on. So that's Donna Lass, and thank you for backing me up on that, Rockford. I, I'm, so I'm not crazy to think that the Zodiac uh, killer has been connected. All right, one more um, story. Uh, once again, a disappearance of a different type that has been solved. Fugitive found dead. A set of human remains that fishermen found wrapped in heavy tire chains and anchored with a hydraulic jack in a lake in Kentucky nearly 25 years ago. Once again, why does it take so long? Has been identified as belonging to an FBI fugitive state police have revealed. Kentucky State Police say with the help of advanced DNA technology, Roger Parham, P-A-R-H-A-M, has been determined to have been the body that was discovered in Lake Barkley in Lyon County in May on May 6, 1999. An FBI wanted poster described Parham, who was sought after who was sought after failing to appear in a court for a rape charge involving a minor in Arkansas, as being very charming and that he preferred odd jobs so that he could get paid in cash. Kentucky State Police said Monday that when the remains were found in 1999 took them over 20 years to test these remains. Investigators were unable to identify the male using traditional investigative techniques. In 2016, the body of the victim was exhumed in hopes that further examinations would make help make an identification. Despite extensive efforts, efforts using DNA technology, dental examinations, forensic pathology, and other advanced forensic testing, the victim remained identified, unidentified. However, earlier this year, State police say they began working with Othram, we know Othram, a private lab specializing in forensic genealogy. A partnership with, the, with NamUs and Othram allowed for advanced gene, genealogy DNA testing of the remains. Through this testing, a relative of the unidentified person was located, which allowed investigators to identify the remains as Roger Parm. Officials say due to the suspicious circumstances surrounding how Parm's remains are found, his death is now being investigated as a homicide. Parham's exact cause of death remains unknown. On November 21st, 1998, Roger Parham was arrested for rape involving a minor. He was subsequently released on bond with conditions 
by the Circuit Court of Sebastian County, Arkansas, Fort Smith District, the FBI said. Parm's bond was revoked after he failed to appear on the charge of rape. So I guess what makes the most sense is that he raped this minor, got out, and what makes, of course, the most sense, I don't know if there's any proof of this, that maybe this minor's family tracked Roger Parham down and exacted some uh, vigilante justice on him. And instead of doing it in Arkansas, where this happened, they took him over the border to Kentucky and put him in this body of water, uh, hoping that he would never be found. Now, they didn't do a very good job of it because if he really couldn't follow the dates in there. Uh, he was arrested. In November of 1998 in Arkansas, but he was found very quickly, only six months later, May of 1999 in Kentucky. So whoever drowned him did not drown him in deep enough water that he couldn't be found. But I have to believe that a good place for police to start here in 2024, if they want to even look into this is looking at the miners family did they could they have a connection to kentucky do they have a connection to this lake is there any conceivable way that the family could have uh could have tracked roger down maybe he didn't realize they were of course he's the child rapist maybe he should have suspected that somebody might want to get revenge on him maybe he just couldn't put all of it together maybe he got jumped maybe he was going to go on the run and they stopped him maybe he got lured we, you know, there's just uh, no way to tell right at this point, but it all happened very quickly that he was arrested in November 1998, but was found uh, dead in May of 1999. So that would seem to uh, make sense. So let's see what's now everybody is saying here. Um, Laura, maybe it's team dynamic where someone always assumes someone else took care of something. Then they realized the thing was ignored. Laurie, uh, as far as the police goes, I'm always I'm willing to give them a break on that once in a while, but it just happens way, 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 way too often. To think it's just uh, a little bit of uh, passing the buck, or the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing, or whatever you want to put it, just this happens too much. Sometimes positions of power attract nut jobs that need power. That's certainly true. Or what I like to say, Laurie, about you know, there's there's a big problem I have with showing respect to groups because a group is nothing but a bunch of individuals. And problem is when you just start showing respect to a group, what ends up happening? Bad people end up figuring out that they don't have to change. All they have to do is become part of that group and then they will get respect too. And see, to me, you know, so when you talk about power attracting and everything else, I think it's also a bit of what I'm talking about. These bad people know that they're bad, but they figure out, you know what, I can get in with a group that's already respected and then I can get my respect and I don't have to change at all. Um, so that's something that occurs to me. And this, see, this is the danger of 
you know, saying we back the blue and, and all of these things, whatever group, you know, we could get into this regarding sports. Look to the extent that, that sports fans will defend uh, members of their favorite team, the person, you know, rape somebody or whatever else. Look how uh, subjective people can be on such things. It's disgusting. This is the kind of thing that I'm talking about. So uh, I think a lot of, I think some of that is certainly in play. It's a lot of things put together. It's not any one thing, but it's a lot of different things. The way people choose to do what they do with their lives. I'm only speaking for my country in the United States. And um, this uh, weird respect we just show for groups because a group exists and how we come become very subjective when we do respect a group. And then we find out that there are um, bad members within that group. And then we start making excuses because we don't want to look stupid. And, you know, it's like a, it's like a damage to our own ego, even though we had nothing to do with it. It's also bizarre to me. I don't get it. And, and I have to admit, I used to be like that. And then I woke up one day and I said, this is weird. So I don't know. Um, that's what I was thinking. Um, daddy took care of him. Yeah. Regarding the Roger Parham. Yeah. Robert, we just got done lamenting police indifference, but here's one investigation. I'm hoping they choose to sit out. All right. So Roger, good one, Rockford. So we're hoping that Roger Parham's uh, murder is never solved. Okay. I, I, I suppose I could live with that. And Laurie, excellent point. And Lisa, thank you uh, for getting in here near the end with that super chat contribution. Thank you so much, Lisa. And with that, we are done for tonight. That is the live show for January 1st, 2024. I got through it pretty well. I feel pretty good. My voice feels pretty good. Uh, this Friday's update episode number 16, as I've already mentioned. I don't know how long that episode is going to go. Not a lot of disappearances to talk about, but it seems to me there's a lot to talk about with the disappearances that are going to be covered. So we'll see. So um, there you go. I thank you uh, once again for tuning in tonight. We had a really good showing of people tonight to start off 2024. Please remember before you go to hit the thumbs up button, give this podcast a nice review, the Unfound Live podcast a nice review on whatever app you're using on iTunes or wherever else. And you'll hear no one but me this Friday for update episode number 16. So that's all I got. Thank you so much. And I still only feel about 85% good. I'm just happy I got through these two hours. Thank you for being uh, here tonight. And uh, let's make 2024 a great year. 2023 was a great year for uh, Unfound. Let's make 2024 even better. Good night, everyone. Keep your heads on swivels. And Charlie, say hi to the kids for me. Good night.